0: Welcome to the Faculty Podcast here at RTS Washington, D.C. I'm Tommy Keene, Academic Dean and Professor of New Testament on our campus, and subbing in for Dr. Scott Redd, who couldn't be with us due to traveling issues, but we do have a big panel for us this morning. I'm joined by uh, Gray Sutanto, professor of systematic theology here at RTS, Peter Lee, our professor of Old Testament, and we're very glad to have uh, Jennifer Patterson, lecturer here, and the director of the Institute of Theology and Public Life at our campus. Welcome, Jennifer.
1: Thank you. Great to be with you guys this morning.
0: And Jennifer has brought a guest with her as well. So, uh, Jennifer, I'm a uh, throw it over to you and you can tell us about our special guest this morning.
1: We are delighted to welcome Nana Dolce this morning. I have had the pleasure of getting to know Nana over the past year as she has been on board at RTS as a visiting lecturer. And we're going to tell you a little bit about the course that she taught last fall and one that's upcoming. That'll be in the course of the conversation. But I'd first like to give just a bit of an introduction to her and then ask her to tell us a little bit about her background and what got her to uh, this uh, situation in life. Uh, Nana is a wife and a mother. She is in ministry at New Macedonia Baptist Church in Washington, DC. She's also the Associate Director of Women's Workshops for the Charles and Trust. She has a Master of Arts in Theological Studies and she has a book coming out this summer that I think we'll want to talk about. So, Nana, we're delighted to have you join us. Good morning. And um, could you just tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, your background, and uh, what has gotten you into these paths of ministry?
2: Sure. Well, thank you all so much for the invitation to join you uh, on the faculty podcast. I'm grateful for that. Uh, Thank you for that introduction, Jennifer. Uh, Yes, so my name is Nana Dulce. I am married to my favorite person ever, Eric who is uh, a student at RTS Washington. And we have the joy of uh, raising three children now. We have two daughters uh, who are homeschooled, age 10 and 8. And we have a foster son, nine months, who joined our family last summer. Uh, And he is a joy as well. So most of my time is spent with these people that I like very much. Um, And I also serve At our church. Um, And so uh, we've been here for 14 years, and I have taught women here um, and also the children. So I teach women and children in my local church. Um, And then I am also the director of the associate director of um, women's workshops for the for the Charles Simeon Trust. So I've been involved with the Simeon Trust for about four years now, officially on staff since last February. And uh, what we do at Simeon Trust is we help to train Bible teachers. And so the ministry really is for pastors, and that is the the priority of the work. And so it's workshops that, you know, weekend workshops that gathers pastors and helps to train them in expositional teaching uh, and preaching. Um, But there's also a little bit of work on the side for women, where we train uh, women's ministry leaders, women who teach children. Um, women who do one-on-one discipleship, we help them to, um, w- what we want to do is help these sisters to say what the text is saying in however way the Lord has called them to teach the Bible. Um, and so I um, I enjoy that work very much and have had the joy of being a part of this course at RTS uh, last fall that sought to do something very similar with women Uh, who are enrolled at RTS and also who are taking the course as an audit. So
1: So we launched the Women's Teaching Lab for the first time last fall at Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., it was uh, just a wonderful experience for those who are a part of the class. I had the privilege of sitting in on that and uh, coordinating that with Nana. We will be having a second installment of that this spring. And I'd like to get into that more. But uh, before that, Nana, could you just tell us a little bit about your own uh, journey and Christian Walk and, and what has made you particularly interested? You, it's clear that when you get up in front of a class, and teach scripture, you are passionate about it and you want to equip others to be passionate about it. What's what's, what's activated that in you?
2: Yeah, thank you for that question. Uh, it's strange. I think that question always sends me back to my conversion experience, uh, to be honest. So I grew up in a culturally Christian kind of context. I was born in Ghana, actually, in West Africa, um, and I came to the U.S. just before I turned 10. Um, and so my family was very much in a, in a w- kind of West African bubble. So our church was mainly, we went to church, I think, for the most part to connect with other Ghanaians. Um, and so I grew up thinking myself Christian, but I think it was more of a, of a cultural so- sort of thing. Uh, so the Bible was in my home, but I never really liked reading the Bible. I did it more as a, as a duty, more so than as a, as a desire, um, didn't really understand it. Um, and it wasn't really until uh, my rising sophomore year in college um, when I really believed the gospel and became a Christian. It came with a dramatic love for for scripture um, uh, and, a, and an understanding for it that I hadn't had before. And I would, I remember, I would do my homework just to get it over with so I could read the Bible. Um, so I joined a church, and I think that the the members there could could see that I had a real kind of interest in, in the Bible. I was one of the younger people at that church. And so I would be in these classes with these older people asking questions and just wanting to know more about scripture. And I think they, they recognized that and they, um, they encouraged it. They encouraged it. They gave me opportunities to teach. Um, I taught the children at that first congregation I was a member of. Uh, and the pastor there encouraged me to go to seminary. Um, so it was a real kind of... Um, God's people seeing that, okay, this young lady has a a desire to learn. They gave me a chance to teach and they gave me um, opportunities to be equipped and to grow in teaching the Bible. Um, And so I I thank God for that. I thank God for that first church and and for their encouragement. So yeah, from there, I went to seminary and Got connected along the way with a wonderful husband, <laughs> um, and Eric Dulce has really been part of my discipleship. I have to I have to say that, uh, and then later on got involved with Simeon, which really gave me a formal, real um, kind of uh, equi- equipping me for for the call of teaching. So it's a bit of a, a bit of the journey to get to from from there to
1: here thank you for that background and it is a joy to hear it it's a joy to see the fruit that it has borne in your life and why don't we talk a little bit about the women's teaching lab and just what the what the goal was there we this is a class that, that we put together at RTSDC last fall we had about 15 women in the class in its very first iteration uh, we've planned this to be a first and second sequenced class. So we had women's teaching lab one in the fall, and we will have women's teaching lab two in the spring. And the goal of this class was really to give uh, women the tools they need to teach in the various applications uh, that they have opportunity to do so in uh, Bible studies, Sunday schools, women ministry, women's ministries, and so on. And uh, Nana, could you just explain a little bit about your vision for how you structured that class and what uh, the goal was as you taught it? Yeah,
2: absolutely. So
1: um, first of
2: all, just thank you to RTS for this class. I was uh, greatly encouraged by it. I think one of the things I loved was the diversity, even of those 15 or so women. Um, it wasn't just ethnically diverse, but it was diverse in the ways that women teach. We saw we, women there who uh, teach uh, very small children, middle schoolers, college-aged uh, women. Uh, we there was one. A uh, woman there who gathers, I think mothers and and women in her community, and she teaches uh, for evangelistic purposes. And so how wonderful, right? to equip these women for the different ways in which they teach God's word um, in their in their local context and in their in their local churches. Um, and so so thank you. we 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 love that that is happening for women in the d c area. Um, so the hope for this course was to help these sisters to get a solid foundation for how to approach a text using principles of exegesis, um, which is this this big word, but I love that they all came so excited to learn, to apply it, and to use it. Uh, So what we wanted to do for this first semester was to help them to just get a sense of the journey for preparing. Uh, So the journey for preparation when they approach the text. Um, I think sometimes, especially for women, that can be a real a real pressure to have something to say, whether it's to children or to the sisters that are in front of us. We want to be relevant to them. We want to have something to say to them, but not rushing to make quick applications for the sake of filling up the time in our teaching, but taking the time to kind of walk through to see how just things like context, how they inform our understanding of the passage. Uh, structure, how the author has organized it, and how it shows us an emphasis. Uh, we wanted to show these sisters that they can get a sense for what the author is advancing to his audience before we turn the corner uh, to our audience. So we had, um, uh, so yeah, helping them just to to, to, to to learn some of the tools they can use to, to understand the author's intention, um, how we can think through the, some theological reflection and connecting to the gospel as Christians in our teaching, so that we make those applications that are gospel-rich, gospel-informed applications. So we spent a bit of time on just kind of looking at exegesis, um, and then spent a little bit of time looking at our delivery as well. Um, So do we have a clear argument that we're making to our audience? What are some of the ways that we can apply it? Uh, What are some of the ways we can illustrate it? simple things like eye contact and your um, language, your um, the way you use your, your, your voice to capture the mood of the passage, um, just different things that help you not only do your best to get the text right, but also to get it across to your audience. So the women in this course were all given, we were all working from the book of Exodus. Everyone got a passage and they had 15 minutes at the end of the course to present a talk. Um, And I was so encouraged by their humility and vulnerability and willingness to stand up in front of 15 or 16 other people and give a talk and then allow us to to give feedback to them. That's not always easy for us. Um, So they were very willing to to do that um, because their goal was to make progress as Bible teachers. Um, So. I boast about them all the time and tell people what a what a joy it was to to learn from them, even as someone who has who is contributing to to, to this course. Um, so it was a, it was a wonderful first
0: experience teaching this course. I'd love to hear you more talk a little bit more, Nana, about the that exegetical side of things. I was thinking about this as you were talking about your desire to teach, um, and and then shifting into the women's teaching lab and their desire to teach that you know when we as teachers get up and start teaching the bible it's a li- it's a little bit different right than say like the ted talk where mm-hmm. you know i have this idea and i have this depth of knowledge and i'm going to teach out of that um whereas as a as a bible teacher it, you, as you put it right you you know it's not that i have something to say you know, I'm I'm going to scripture and finding out what it has to say and then conveying that in a way that's appropriate and, and ministers to to my audience. So can you talk a little bit more about that dynamic and particularly the role of exegesis? Why is it important for Bible teachers not to just be skilled at teaching, mm-hmm. but at reading and understanding scripture?
2: Yeah. No, thank you for that question. I think one of the things that actually encourages me um, as someone who teaches the Bible to women and to children, is I don't have to make it up. I don't have to have something to say. They don't They don't need to come and hear what Nana Dulce's ideas are, uh, but I want them to see what the text is saying, because we believe that God does his work among his people through his word. Uh, so as much as possible, I'm doing a lot of work and preparing um, because I want them to, I want to get to What this author is intending, both the divine author and and, and the the human author, um, their intended uh, argument that they are advancing to their audience. I want my audience to see that and to get that. And so that was that's what we put before these women. I think often and I believe that um, as, as a member of my local church, that the Sunday morning pulpit work of my pastor is the most important teaching moment for for the congregation because that's when everyone is 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 hearing from God's word, whether you're a child or a woman or a man. And so, so yes, we love that's the most important. But there are also um, these moments, right, within the the the. the Within us, as a, the family of God, as the church, where either women are gathering a group of of children, or there's one to one discipling happening. Happening, and in those moments, we want to do good work to help whoever our students are to see the text. Um, uh, so that was the other the other thing we wanted to emphasize to these women is just because maybe you don't have a big uh, audience, even if it's just a few children or another woman or a small group of women, uh, even if you don't have a big audience, that doesn't mean you're not spending many hours to to, to dig right into the passage in order to bring out what it says. Um, and that's why we need to give time to think of things like context, what's coming before and what's coming after. That's helping to inform my understanding um, it's why it's important to keep reading our Bibles so that we don't just know the little individual passage we're studying, but that we have a, a, a good understanding of either the whole book or even the whole, met, you know, metanarrative of, of the Bible story itself and where this little passage sits within that big story. The more we know our Bible, the better it informs our understanding of the little passages we're teaching um, and the better we are prepared to help our audience to see that as well. Um, so we spend hours and we do good work because we want to be faithful teachers, whoever we're teaching, what who, you know, however big the audience might be or small. Um, so, yeah, we spent lots of time in, in seeing how context and seeing how structure um, helps to lead us to an emphasis um, and how all of that will then become will then shape our message and what we are
3: saying to our audience. Nana, uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh and uh, you know, I'm just coming back from my sabbatical and uh unfortunately I wasn't here on campus to to see the women's teaching lab in action. I did see the first uh day and uh just kind of peeked my head in and it was just so excited to see the 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 interest in the class and everything you just mentioned about you know, context and exegesis and, and uh, scriptural analyses, you know, it just warms the cockles of my heart. But it's not, um, nothing you said really is just gender specific. You know, this is something that is um, a common trait of what we do as a school generally. One of the unfortunate things is that we, we see more men than women uh, in our classes and um and it's great to see so many more women attending our classes and learning and growing D- do you have any words of encouragement for women who might have uh who might be seeking theological education or seminary training i mean you obviously went through it and and benefited and gained and and uh uh what what uh what thoughts would you have to encourage uh, uh young women or older women out there uh who might be thinking about Seminary and how that benefits them, and 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 what they can uh, uh, what they could gain from.
2: Yeah, thank you for that question, Dr. Lee. That question actually brings to my First uh, Timothy four. Um, that's the encouragement I think I want to give them. First Timothy four, maybe like verses eleven to about sixteen. So that's the verse where where Paul is, and like you said, it's not gender specific in the sense that Paul is speaking to this young. Uh, Timothy, and he says he says to him, I'll just maybe read a little bit of it. It says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set uh, the believers an example in speech and conduct and faith and love and purity until I come. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the uh, council of elders laid their hands on you, he says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this. In so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Um, I love the verbs that Paul is using here, just the idea to to persist in this, to immerse yourself, to make progress, to watch yourself, to not neglect the gift. Um, I think that would be my encouragement. If you are a sister, especially if the church, if the church you're going to has kind of recognized, okay, this sister is helpful in the area of teaching. She has, she asks good questions. She's able to make the text clear for others. If the church is confirming and kind of encouraging you in your teaching gift, I would say, Grow to to make progress. Immerse yourself in these things. Become equipped in what you're doing so that you do it better. Um, the point of it, uh, even the uh, the passage in Ephesians four, I think verses eleven to twelve, that says that He's given some to be teachers to equip the saints. And so, whatever gift you have uh, as a as a sister who's called to teach is for God's people, is to equip. The saints, um, and so you want to make progress in that. You want to grow in that uh, for the sake of your own sanctification and for the sanctification of, of of the people that God has given you to to teach. So I would encourage you to to take some classes and to uh, to get better. To get better is it's a gift that is yes given to you by God, but you immerse yourself, you practice so that you make progress. And we make progress by learning and, and learning from others. So that would be my encouragement
0: I could slide in a, a comment here just about some of the classes on offer at RTS this is this is a paid this is not a paid for advertisement this is just this is just bonus advertisement here but um, one of the things that tends to kind of pre- prevent a barrier put up a little bit of a barrier for people that are kind of thinking about seminary and thinking do I want to do classes is uh, this fear that you have to commit to you know 10 years of your life uh, to seminary Uh, and, you know, maybe you're hearing about this women's teaching lab or, uh, you know, some of our, our Bible classes on offer, some of our systematics classes, you think I'd I'd like to take that class, but not commit to, you know, everything that, that the seminary has to offer. Um, We do offer uh, special student statuses and we have some certificate programs and some kind of smaller packages that make that possible, and then you can combine uh, combine those into uh, larger and larger uh, components, and even build out a, a an MAR or an MABS or an MDiv uh, from that. So for those who are hearing this and thinking, "Hey, maybe some seminary training would be helpful," uh, contact our our admissions guy, and and he'll he'll set. I'm I'm looking at him right now, and that he's smiling, and I know he's going to uh, set you up well for that.
1: So while we're on the subject of the Women's Teaching Lab, let me make an advertisement that we are about to start our second lab. Uh, We finished Women's Teaching Lab 1 in the fall and we will have Women's Teaching Lab 2 beginning February 25th. Still time to sign up for that. Nana described that the first semester focused on text and right handling of text. In the second semester, Women's Teaching Lab 2 is going to continue that focus, but also add, an emphasis on the teacher and the communication uh, characteristics of teaching well, and audience. How do we think about our audience and the needs that a particular group might have, uh, and how to communicate well given those? So, text and audience and teacher teaching skills are going to be an emphasis in this second semester, uh, and and we will look forward to Nana continuing to teach, and um, we hope to continue these. Classes year after year to repeat them as there's quite a bit of interest and eagerness to participate.
0: Anana, I I did want to ask you about your book. It sounds fascinating. Um, Coming out in June, The Seed of the Woman 30 Narratives that Point Us to Jesus. Can you tell us a little bit um, about that? It looks very exegetical, biblical, theological, but also um, focused on Christ. What were some of the challenges? Uh, that were involved there. And uh, yeah, give give us a little a foretaste.
2: Absolutely. Yes. Thank you for, for asking that. Uh, it's funny you said, well, what were some of the challenges with that? And the first thing that comes to mind is, um, so I signed the contract to write this book, I think, days after we said yes <laughs> to having our having a three-week-old join our family. So that was a lot of fun. <laughs> that was a lot of fun, writing a book and carrying a baby. On my back. It was, it was, it was fun. I loved it. Um, (laughs) but no, uh, thank you for asking that. So, yeah, the seed of the woman, my hope was it was uh it came from two places. The first was very much, I guess the the foundation or the thinking behind the book started with really in Luke uh 24, where Jesus is walking along with these disciples headed to Emmaus, and he um, you know, he kind of opens up the scriptures to them and says that all of it, all the um Old Testament scriptures where I'm the interpretive center of all of it, my suffering and my glory, is as he he taught them from Moses and the and the prophets. And I and I think that there's been so many good materials lately that help us to see Jesus in the Old Testament, that helps us to kind of get this sense of, of biblical theology. But I'm not sure that I've always heard the narratives of women in the Old Testament in a way that helps me to look forward to the person and work of Christ. And so that was my question is there a a forward, like a foreshadowing a looking forward to Jesus that we can find in the narratives of these women? Or are they mainly there just to be kind of moral examples of of do this like Ruth, but don't do this like, like, you know, like this other woman. Um, uh, And and so my hope was, okay, well, how can we see Jesus in through the narratives of these women? Um, And the other goal that I have, uh, that I had in writing this book, was just to help women to know the story of the Old Testament, just just to get us familiar. I'm not sure how often we read through the Old Testament, how well we know some of these narratives, um, how well we know some of these women, um, women like Rispa, and the Levi's concubine in, in Judges uh, 19 and, you know, Tamar, both in Genesis and also David's daughter. I'm not sure how much. I think sometimes we, we, we know Sarah and we know Rachel and we know kind of the, the women in Genesis, but we don't know as many as, as, the, as, as the story continues in the Old Testament. So it was just to get women familiar with some of the stories that we don't know as well, and then also help them to, to understand Old Testament history a little bit. Um, so that's what the book does. It's, it's 30 chapters, and each chapter is one woman, um, and we we kind of organize it. Uh, we do, you know, creation and Genesis, and we go into Exodus and the Judges. We go into the Kings. Um, we kind of organize it that way and walk with our readers through 30 narratives that point us to Jesus and help us to be a little bit more familiar with the, with the story of the old Testament.
0: I see, I see JL, J, JL, how, how do you yes. pronounce that? Yes. Um, I, I, I would see, say JL J, JL you, you new you, Testament you wanna, guys, man,
3: you, you guys need to come on, man.
0: We just, we, we have, we have our work cut out for us in the, in the new Testament as well. We have, we have some difficult names.
3: Can, okay, can I, can I anyway?
0: I was wondering, Nana, what, what, what because because uh, uh, in my hermeneutics class last week, I I gave students the option of picking any text of scripture to to kind of work through a Christological interpretation of, and they picked Jael there, mm. um, mm-hmm. and you know, so I was curious what you what you did, <laughs> uh, if if you want to give us a sketch like how sure how, how would you point us to Christ through her
2: absolutely yeah I love that one my daughter's name is JL actually so oh, really? um <laughs>
0: so, so we'll go with your pronunciation then
2: yes I mean <laughs> if I'm pronouncing it wrong we'll blame it on Eric because he named his child that so <laughs> It all goes to it all goes to him, but um. So yes, I love this story, right? So this is this is a story in Judges four and five, um, and so this is uh, this tent dwelling woman who becomes this unexpected savior in this story. So this is the time when uh, uh, Sisera, who was an army over the the Canaanite the Canaanite army, I think they had uh, they were uh, oppressing Israel for a number of years, um, and Deborah. Is the judge at the time, which is also unusual. She's this female judge, right? Um, and it seems as if the 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 men and the and the commanders are are a little slack, right? They're a little slack in first of all just advancing uh, to to take over this land that the Lord has put them in. Um, but I'll just cut to the chase. JL is this unexpected savior. Sisera, her husband was uh was Friends or was uh, fine with with the Canaanites, he goes to Jael's tent looking for shelter and she brings him in. She's very welcoming. She says, my Lord, come in in here. He goes in feeling very safe. She gives him a blanket. She gives him warm milk. He falls asleep. And while he is sleeping, she takes a tent peg and a hammer and she uh, kills him. She nails him essentially to the ground. She crushes the head of the enemy. uh, And a song that Deborah will later sing says that he dies at her feet. So when I hear that, she has crushed the head of the enemy at her feet. It takes me all the way to the beginning of the story, the proto evangelum right? This pronouncement, the first pronouncement of the gospel, where God says to the woman that there will be this seed that will crush the head of the serpent. Uh, And so this woman crushes the head of God's enemies for the salvation of Israel, and there he is lying at her feet. And I think that in that, we see just a little picture of this unexpected savior, right, who delivers God's people through her actions. So. Very small little snippet there, but there's there's oh, obvious great. there's there's a picture we see there.
3: Oh, that is awesome. Thank you for sharing that. That is truly awesome. The that song of Deborah in Judges Five that you mentioned is it, it's interesting. There is this uh discussion of which came first, narrative, the historical narrative of the Deborah Jael that you find in in Judges Four, or the song of Deborah that mm-hmm. praises Jael in Judges Five. Uh, and you, it perhaps is better just to see them as sort of uh, separate uh, expressions of that historical, of that narrative, of that point in history. And and Jael there is actually even looked at as someone who was strategic in how she lured Cicero and lulled him into a sense of complacency to make him vulnerable. Uh, so uh, so it, it really is fantastic in how uh, that section of, De- of Deborah is is just a praise of two women. In fact, the the, Deborah narrative has nothing to do with the men at all. It just says they fought, and the the bulk of it is all about Jael at the end. It's great. Love it. And I love the fact that you named your daughter Jael. No boy, when she grows up, is going to be, uh, I I don't know if that was the intent, but, uh, you know, they're going to think twice before they uh, uh, start to to associate with her. (laughs) It's a high
0: bar. It's a high bar.
2: Amen. I think Eric would appreciate that. That's good. (laughs)
0: Gray, I'm not hearing you if you think you're being heard.
4: No, no, I was, I was just saying there that, you know, as you're talking about Jael, it seems so obvious that this is pointing to Christ, that this is clearly a Christological narrative that points to the Messiah. Yet, you know, why is it something that, that we have really commonly overlooked? I and mean, we, we've seen how in many sermons, how Abraham points to Christ, how Joseph points to Christ, how David points to Christ and so on with these women. And these narratives clearly also point to Christ. And Jesus says, you know, the whole of the Old Testament narratives actually point to him. Why do you think we've easily overlooked these seemingly obvious passages, especially the way you have exposited it just now briefly? Yeah, why have we overlooked these things? And are there any other blind spots that perhaps we're not privy into?
2: Excellent question, uh, Dr. Sutanto. I I think I asked myself the same question. I'm not I, I've certainly asked myself the same question, especially with 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 that particular narrative. I don't often hear uh, that story taught with with that picture of Christ, and so I I do wonder the same. I'm not sure that I even have a, a good answer as to why we've we've missed it. Um, maybe we're not expecting it, perhaps. Maybe we're not reading it because maybe we're not thinking. I think sometimes um when we're when we're teaching a text or when we do exegesis, the gospel connection will not necessarily I think this one actually does jump out at you and kind of wave his hands, obviously, but it doesn't always happen with every text there's some there's work to do to 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 kind of get you to the gospel and if you are thinking it isn't there, perhaps you're not doing the the work to get there um uh I love I think I love stories of women because, because I'm a woman. And so I've always been interested in the women of the old Testament. Um, and because I think that these stories and everything we read can help us to, to see Jesus. Cause he says, so um, I have tried to, to do the work to get there. Um, so, so uh, yeah. So perhaps there's more intentionality we need to take.
4: That's an important comment, I think, Nana. I think it's really important to see that both males and females bring their own perspectives to the reading of scripture. And and both could therefore open up passages of scripture that one particular gender perhaps has not seen or has not expected to to point us to Jesus or something like that. And I want to give sort of perhaps a hot take and maybe uh, we'll consider how controversial the statement is. But I, I think one of the issues with contemporary teachings of complementarianism is that it has focused solely on sort of the male-female relationship within a husband and wife situation, where the male is the head and the wife submits, the male sacrifices, Jesus sacrifices, and the wife is the church, which is very good. But it misses that complementarianism has a sort of creational Trinitarian aspect as well. And this is something that Bobbing clearly taught, where the male and female point to God in their own way, creationally, that the complementarianism shouldn't be simply about a reducible to the husband-wife relation, but it has a creational aspect where both genders points to God in a unique way, because God in himself is unity and diversity. And so in the male-female relation, there's unity and diversity. And when we miss one aspect, we miss uh, something theological as well, if that makes sense. So uh, that's my own take on it. And I'm, I'm still kind of wrestling with it. And I think what you said there sort of reaffirmed that perspective on my part.
2: I think it was well said. I think it was well said. Um, and hopefully uh, a couple of things. Um, my hope is that, yeah, like even books like, like this one would be read, not just by women, uh, but perhaps even, you know, brothers in the church will read it and be encouraged by it. And then secondly, I think it goes back to what our, our hope is, even in this RTS course, that uh, women that, that aspire to teach that God has given the gift of teaching for the we're equipping the saints and the ways he's called women to teach in the church that they will be equipped to do that better and to help us maybe to see some of these things that not all of us will see right if we read if we if we're uh, we're we're studying and preparing to, to teach the text. Um, so yeah may the Lord equip more sisters uh to teach faithfully and may we benefit from that.
3: Amen. You know, Nana, a lot of what we do as a school is exactly what you just said. It is equipping. It's equipping students to know scripture, to know theology, to know history of interpretation, biblical languages, you know, everything related to the Word of God. Our our goal as a school is really primarily to, to equip uh, students to know how to handle and manage the Word of God. What they do with it is really dependent on their local churches. Uh, you know uh, and how you learn to minister the Word is really going to be dependent on you know opportunities and training and discipleship in the local church I'm very curious to know you you have served in your local church and and you've done so uh, for many years you've just you shared a, a lot of opportunities and instruction teaching that you have done. Could you share? And I don't know how broadly you can uh, speak to this, but I'll I'll leave it open to you to kind of speak either to, to, to the church at large. You know, what are some things that you have heard, that you have seen, that you've been encouraged on how the church has um, given opportunities of service for women? And what are some areas that you think, you know, the church really could do better? Uh, pastors or church leaders in general, here are some areas where they really can improve to encourage women and how they can serve.
2: Yeah. Thank you for that question. Uh, so the first thing that comes to mind is the only reason I went to seminary, uh, was because my pastor encouraged me. Uh, I had a pastor who saw, okay, this, she's always at every, every, uh, you know, study we do. (laughs) She's asking questions. There's clearly a, a desire here, excuse me. There's clearly a desire here and a passion for God's word. So let me, um, let me let me kind of give her more. let me encourage her. So I went to seminary be, at, at the encouragement of my pastor and was given opportunities to teach because of um, pastors and, and kind of leaders who were in my congregation. and so I think we can do that more. We can do that more for for women and for sisters that we see are clearly have a desire to teach, aspire to teach, are gifted to teach. Um, I, I don't think we need to to be afraid uh, of them getting preparation and equipment and, and, and even to the level of a, of a seminary degree. So yeah, I mean, I think if we believe that the church is the family of God made up of men and women with different gifts, serving in different ways for the equipment of God's people to do the work that he's called them to do, uh, then we prepare people to make progress and to be as good as they can in however way they've been called. I think we need to to look out for that. We need to encourage that. And and it's for our benefit. It's for our benefit. I I always say, even after I graduated from seminary, I think I came back to my local church um, and I had a sense that, okay, I have a seminary degree now, so I don't want to teach the children anymore. I remember thinking that. And I had to repent of that. I had to repent of that because I think in, in some ways I was saying teaching, spending hours in order to help children to see the gospel is not worth my time because I have a seminary degree, but children are made in God's image. It's a chance to evangelize them. It's a chance to disciple them. It is good time. It is time well spent to be prepared to teach whoever God has given me to teach. And so I think that that, maybe that message needs to be real throughout all levels of our church, that however you're called to teach, it is valuable work, it is good work, it's important work, um, and we encourage you to do it as well as you can.
0: I think that's amen to that, and the the idea that, you know, it's just to the children, I think is just a a really, it's one that affects us all, I I think. you, You mentioned earlier on about no matter the size of the the classroom or the congregation i think that's an important note too that this is again for the church and for god's kingdom and all the members thereof um, and so our focus is not the elite as it were but as as christ said you know let the little children come to me and in some ways that's even more challenging you know teaching the bible to i got it easy i i Uh, teaching the Bible to graduate students who like want to be there is one thing, but teaching the Bible and doing all of the work that you're doing, pointing uh, to Christ from all of the various narratives of scripture and doing it in a way that is accessible for the least among us is much more challenging. It's it's a harder job. Um, And and to keep them interested um, while pointing them to Christ, I think is a a task that is well worth engaging in. Indeed. Uh, I love that was a beautiful
3: covenantal perspective on church life. Nana, thank you. You might be more Presbyterian than you realize.
1: <laughs> Nana, you had uh, a good anecdote about writing your book while carrying an infant. And season changes in women's lives can be pretty dramatic uh, from, uh, through, through childbearing and childrearing and all the different phases of life. What advice do you have to women to be students of the word and teachers of the word throughout all those season changes?
2: Yeah, that's an excellent question. I mean, I think to, just to be honest, some seasons allow us to do more than others. I think there are some times when uh, maybe your own personal Bible study and going to church on Sunday is is what you can do if you, if you have a lot a lot of little little ones to care for, um, and then there are other seasons that opens up uh, a lot more. I guess what I don't want to do is put some kind of undue pressure on a sister who is <laughs> trying just to keep her kids alive. Right, right now she's just trying to get through the day. I don't want to give um, put a put put a sense of of burden on her. Uh, but but I think that also we can have a lot more time than we use. I think if we looked throughout our day the number of hours maybe we spend on Instagram and Facebook and all of those things they definitely show us that there's often a lot of a lot more time than we have than than we may even think. So you know the the you know uh, the the word of God is not mere words. It is our very life. Uh, and especially when you have a lot to do, you need God's word, feeding on God's word and reading God's word. Is life-giving is life-giving to uh, to you, no matter no matter the season. So uh, even looking back at the course that we had and the diversity of women that were there, there were women who were much older, there were single women, uh, there was one mom who, like me, had a uh, an infant or a toddler at home, um, and so it was a you know it was a diversity of women in different seasons. Um, and so be honest and be uh, speak to your husband, speak to your elders, and do what you can do to make progress in your gift and to feed on, on God's word, no matter what season you're in.
1: That's very helpful, the sober judgment about those seasons. And one of the things that I loved about the teaching lab that you taught is that it for the women who were able to engage in that kind of formal classroom situation during this particular season of their life, which is not going to be for all women at all times. Um, but for for those women who were able to engage, it's giving them a toolkit that they can take with them through all future seasons. Uh, helping them to be ready for any teaching scenario that comes up in the informality and um, uh, casual life of a family day to day that comes up in the church, whether you're in a particular Sunday school teaching role or not, when it's just taking dinner to someone or, or inviting someone into your home and uh, topics come up that, that call us to reflect on scripture together. It, The toolkit that's provided by formal training in how to go to scripture, how to study scripture, how to pass on the teaching of scripture, helps us to be ready for all of those situations in life. And that was just a real joy to watch happening during our class. Last fall. Well, we're looking forward to the class this spring, Women's Teaching Lab Two, starting in February. Twenty fifth, February twenty fifth will be the first date of that class. And Nana, we really appreciate you spending this time with us today. We're it's a joy to have you on campus with us. Uh, we are just so grateful for. Uh, a teacher like you who loves God's word, wanting to encourage and equip other women to teach God's word as well. So thank you for using your gifts to serve God's kingdom. And thank you for joining us here today.
2: Thank you. Thank you. as a joy. Thank you so much.
0: Welcome to the faculty podcast at RTS Washington. I'm Tommy Keene, the academic dean here and also professor of New Testament, subbing in for Scott Redd, who has been uh, traveling and has run into some travel problems. We're praying for traveling mercies for him. Uh, Traveling mercies is something our congregation always prayed for. I'm not sure what they are, but we're hoping that Scott will join us uh, next uh, week. I'm going to start over because that was terrible. Timo.